It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It's called the Science Podcast, and these are a couple of atheists that run this podcast. So I thought you'd be interested to hear what they say. This is only one little bit, so it's like it's over half an hour, and I couldn't play you the whole thing because I'd have to have so many beeps in it bleeping out uh, the expletives. Because you can't pray in the shins of space! Our guest tonight is Lawrence Krauss, who is an internationally known theoretical physicist, currently working as a foundation professor in the School of Earth and Space Exploration and Physics Department, and inaugural director of the Origins Project at Arizona State University. He's an author of numerous papers and 10 popular books, including A Universe from Nothing. And we were very privileged to be joined by Dr. Krauss back in August and had quite a good discussion about the intersection of religion, science, and politics. So we're going to jump right into the interview here. So I guess like what I wanted to just start with, because I, when I was plan- like planning for this, I was looking at your Reason Rally speech, everything like that. Um, something that always kind of fascinates me is how people have like how they come to the point to, that they know that they're atheists, non-believers, whatever. And like, what's your sort of atheist origin story <laughs> to, to put it in that kind of term? Yeah. Well, it's not, there's no epiphany or anything. I, I it's just called growing up. Um, <laughs> I, I, uh, when I was a kid, I read lots of things. I read the Bible, I read the Quran, I read lots of things in my family which was Jewish, sort of did the high holidays, and I was bar mitzvah. But as a, you know, and, and I guess like many people I wanted to believe, but as I got older, and certainly by the time I was early teenager, the, it was clear the stories were just kind of silly, and, and just a matter of, of you know, recognizing that they were silly and, and unrealistic. And then, and then as I became a scientist, of course, it became more and more clear that the you know, there's there's no evidence of any of that in the universe, but it was just a matter of growing up, just like not believing in Santa Claus. Yeah. Now, like, do you know like many or any scientists who are tr- who try to actually reconcile like a belief in something like a god with the work that they do? Like, yeah, there are science? some scientists who are religious. There are some well-known scientists who are religious, and I think the reason is that they're brought up religious, frankly, on the whole, and it's hard to overcome that kind of stuff. That's why I say that. That in some sense, religious child abuse, or at least certainly mm-hmm. certain kinds of religion, because when you expose kids, kids are, are are far too young to understand the subtle issues of of creation and 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 God in general. These notions are uh, are, are very subtle, and most adults can't deal with them. But to sort of force feed kids them, then makes what what happens is that they get ingrained with that, and I think kids people tend to. Follow, well, it's obvious that people follow the religion of their parents because children of Muslims tend to be Muslim, children of Christians tend to be Christian, mm-hmm. which is one of the first things that should make you realize that it's kind of dubious because if it was really truth, then you'd think that it, you know, what your parents believe wouldn't really be the, the rate-determining factor. But, um, and, but there are some scientists I know, and, and as I say, some very good scientists who are religious. And I, I think the point is, that the other aspect of it is that people can believe mutually inconsistent things at the same time. That's what humans do. And scientists, believe it or not, are human. Yes. <laughs> scientists are, are people. We, like, we, yeah, we, and we, so, yeah. as I like to say, there's some scientists who are religious, but there's some scientists who are Republicans, so there's no accounting for any of the, you know, obviously logic and rationality goes out the window in that case. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I like, I really loved your, um, your Reason Rally speech, just kind of, bringing up some of the things that are just so unreasonable at this point, like in, in our kind of political yeah, climate. Yeah, we come and to accept them, but it's yeah. kind of, it's really amazing when you think of, you know, think about just that fact of what, just accepting the fact that sort of a, this fairy tale is a central part of people's existence and, and that, and it goes without any questioning in it, in all media is itself an amazing fact. 
and and how yeah. absolutely terrifying it is when people say you know, say like you know my my beliefs my morality even like comes from you know this this wizard in the sky like that and people just accept that and well and more what's scarier is when people say that if you don't is that you can't have morality unless you do accept right that. that's the scary part and for me that's the real that's the real you know people talk about religion and you know whether it's been responsible for wars and killing and all the rest but but the real, the real negative aspect of religion, which I guess I only began to realize after I sort of became well known and people write me, is that you know in our movie, The Unbelievers, I get I get or my books, I, I get all sorts of letters from people who say, you know, I really appreciate this because first, I know I'm alone, not alone. Uh, there are other people who who think this way, but more right. importantly, I know I'm not a bad person for asking questions. That's the really sad thing. It's in small towns throughout this country. There are people who are questioning, like they're supposed to, and and yet they're they're made to feel as if they're evil for simply asking those questions. And that's the worst part of religion is that it's appropriated morality. I think. Well, and then when you think about kind of educating like the next generation of of children, and you know the people who are hopefully going to do good things for this planet, to have indoctrination still be a part of it. Um, you know, so that's it's. Yeah, I mean, I've, I wrote in some piece somewhere that we're always just one generation away, right? Yeah. We're one generation, and so I can imagine religion being gone if you just could, if you could just get at the kids and get them to ask questions and be free thinking. It's just like uh, uh, same-sex marriage. It's a generation ago, no one would have ever thought it would be gone. But if you talk to anyone, any, my daughter's age or anyone younger, they don't even understand what the issue is. Yeah. Right. And and so you can. So the next generation is really what matters because this generation is 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 already done for. <laughs> and yeah, and, and that reminds me of a of a story. My my kids are six and four. My oldest is uh, you know making friends and going over to people's houses. And he went to uh, one of his friends is Pentecostal, and I didn't know this beforehand. But he told me about a story where he's like hanging out with his friend. They're talking about whatever, and his friend pulls out a Bible and like literally like hits him with the Bible and tells him that the book is powerful. And I just, it, right. It's like, it's like two six year olds, like just hanging out, like, you know, playing whatever, like video games they play. And like, all of a sudden now my child has been assaulted, like literally assaulted. And so, I mean, it's, it's, I think it's, look, I, I don't think you can protect your kids from that. I think it's good for them to right. see that exactly. kind of craziness. Exactly. And recognize it as us and have a, have a conversation. But, but it is sad when this little kid is told that and, and it's well, sad and he's when, seen, and he's and seen somebody get hit with a Bible. Be. He's seen somebody like hit somebody with a Bible too. Is the other yeah. part of that? That's a learned behavior. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, it's and and that's and people say, well, it's not child abuse. They you know get really mad at me when I say that. But anytime you sort of withhold, you withhold knowledge from your kids, and and, and you'd rather them not know how the world really works for fear that their faith is gone. You're, it's, it's, it's a form of child abuse. You're, you're, anytime you knowingly limit the op opportunities and options of your children. I mean, we all do these things, but anytime you knowingly and regularly do that, it's, it's, it's not fair to the kids. Well, yeah. And I think the line is you're, you're withholding information. It's, it's, it's not even so much the lies that the fact that you're not, you're withholding that information, like the evidence-based information from your kids. Yeah, and that and that is, you know, there are worse kinds of child abuse, but that is right. child abuse. Well, because you're not arming your children with the tools to go out in the world and be able to be critical exactly. thinkers and be able exactly. to exactly, kind of and you're limiting their themselves. options there, therefore, you're limiting the opportunities they have in life. And it's like withholding medicine, but obviously not as as as. You know. Well, you're not preparing them to be to be fully functional adults. Yeah, exactly. Well, and then, like, you know, as I was just doing some reading recently, then you see, um, you know, people who potentially are going to have political power, hopefully not, but like, you know, someone like Donald Trump being like, let's downsize the Department of Education, like, which to me means let's cut further ability to, to like, teach children science and to think critically. Well, yeah, I mean, well, yeah, I mean, he doesn't have, <laughs> not only just cut the Department of Education, but what scares me the most is when he talked about, oh, you know, the guy I really want to put in charge of it is uh, is, is Ben Carson, <laughs> this young earth creationist who's a scientific illiterate. And it's so weird. Uh, uh, it is so weird that 
that this guy who was, you know, a a, uh, a other, neurosurgeon. Like, other, yeah, otherwise a great neurosurgeon from what I've heard. I mean, I, 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 yeah, he's a great, you know, apparently good neurosurgeon. But there's very few people on the campaign who are more scientifically illiterate than he is. Mm -hmm. And that's, that says a lot for the Republican Party. Yeah, and and just the I think the level of scientific illiteracy in the country right now is, I mean, it's crazy that we can have you know an ark in the middle of you know <laughs> the Midwest or whatever that people actually visit and think is real, or you know just that's a you know, extreme example. But what like what do you think we could do to combat that and try to you know salvage like? education and critical thinking for next generation? Well, I think we, well, one of the, the, the problem is, and especially in this, in the 21st century, teaching facts is not important. It's, it's, um, and information, I mean, at some basic level, you have to provide a certain level of amount of information, but, but people can get information easily on, uh, on their phones. And so what you have to do is provide them a filter to teach people how to, filter the information to get tech wheat from the chaff. And really what that means, in my opinion, is teaching by questions. I mean, getting people to learn how to ask good questions and where to go to get the answers. So but so that's how I think we need to do is, is encourage basically curricula based on questioning. And that, however, is difficult if you're a teacher who isn't well prepared and you need to stick to the curriculum because questioning is bound to go off. So, I mean, teacher, I encourage teachers to, and parents to be able to say, I don't know. You know, when the kids ask, you always want to know the answer when your kids are asking you these questions. But but it's great to say, I don't know. You know, I don't know. Let's let's see what we can find out and, and see where to find out. And and, and, uh, and and even then, and even then that teaches the kids that it's OK to not know things like we don't know everything. And but here's here's how to go about obtaining that knowledge and doing so from a reputable source. Yeah, exactly. I think that's the point. And I think, as I say, in this the, the Internet is wonderful, but it doesn't provide a filter. And that that's something we just don't teach in schools, I think, is how to is how to how to be able to distinguish by skepticism, by checking references when when something is reasonable. Yeah, that's great. Um you know, I I would like. Can we can we talk a little bit about like current event politics stuff? Because I you can like talk I, about whatever you want yeah, to talk. Yeah, because I, I enjoyed your um that what you just pub like published online. What was that like a couple days ago in the New Yorker? Just about in the New Yorker sometime in this last yeah, week. Yeah, Donald Trump's anti science campaign. Because I mean that's what it is. It's I was I was talking like to a friend of mine who lives in the UK, and he was just he just said to me like, how is Donald Trump actually still a thing? <laughs> like. Like how, I think how the point is, is that, as I said in the piece, what is scary is that that not just Trump, but the but the uh, uh, but the Republican Party is betting that it's perfectly acceptable to 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 uh, uh, um, that empirical reasoning is not the basis of public policy. That empirical reasoning doesn't matter. That you can just say whatever you want. And in the current climate, that is the case. And it's because it, it, it's not a surprise because it, it, we haven't based for a long time, in some sense, our our public policies on empirical reasoning, and 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 uh, and so people aren't aren't used to saying, you know, well, you just said that, but can you explain to me, you know, give me any evidence for what you're saying is true? And I think that um, they're just taking it to the extreme, and they're betting that. You know, Donald Trump just nothing he says is is true ever. Essentially, yeah. he just makes up whatever he wants, and no one see. Well, very few people seem to call him on it. Now, every now and then they, he gets called on it, but it's it's uh, um, uh, um, it's unfortunate that I, I think the m mainstream media are to some extent at fault here, um, and and certainly when it comes to science issues. You find most journalists are uncomfortable, and they want their. This is something else I've talked about: is that journalists are kind of trained to find two sides to every story. But when it comes to science, mm -hmm. uh, there's one side tends to be wrong, and they're they're hesitant. To, they're always sort of looking for someone to counter whatever whatever you want to say. So whether it's the whether it's climate change or evolution, they can always find someone 
to counter it. And that doesn't mean anything. But right. instead of just saying, you know, this is just nonsense. And only once or twice have I seen it happen where a mainstream news source said, you know, not just most scientists believe in evolution, but evolution, it, you know, describes the world. And, and so they're very hesitant to make those statements. But if it were... If it were the Holocaust, for example, if Donald Trump denied the Holocaust, they'd be all over him because they're much more comfortable with that. But when he when he when he says climate change is invented by the Chinese, uh, no one you know it's just no one seems to call him on or 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 make huge fun as I, I began my piece by pointing out this stupid art argument he said about a hairspray. Well, people should be, be journalists should be saying, look, this guy doesn't realize that the that you know. The atmosphere in your house and the atmosphere outside your house are coupled, <laughs> and and it's not as if you don't ever breathe air from the outside, inside, or vice versa. Uh, and so, but I think journalists, many of them, don't feel comfortable enough to sort of basically confront someone when they say something ridiculous. And like, why? Why do you think? Like, why do you think that is? Like, is it just fear? Well, of I think journalists are not trained. I mean, most journalists don't have any any. We don't do a good job giving people basic scientific training. That's what we need to do. We need to be able to, everyone, it used to be 100 years ago that to be a literate, educated person, you had to have some understanding of science. But to some extent, that's just given up. And nowadays, even our cultural role models, we, you know, they, the other people say, well, you know what, I just can't, don't get that stuff. And it's okay, you know, they're cultural icons. But you no, know, that science stuff, I just can't. Yeah, that's why I like to tie in my, in my own work and in my in, in the institute I run in Arizona, the Origins Project, like to tie science and culture and do events with cultural icons who are actually scientifically literate and and, and proud of it. Well, and to have those models there for people to see, like that. Yeah, is, like, yeah. So it's important to have models of people that you know. I've had people from you know in the movie we did the Unbelievers, but people from Woody Allen to Cameron Diaz and to to um, um, you know. Johnny Depp, Werner Herzog, Cormac McCarthy, all these people I've done things with who are cultural icons, but but they but they care about science. And and to a greater or lesser degree, there some of them are really expert in it. Yeah. Yeah, and and those are the voices that need to be more um accessible and out there for people to hear, I think. Um just Well, I think yeah, I think I think they need to be able to stand up and 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 say that. And if the more we can have role models who are Known for other things, comfortable with science, the better the better the 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 object lesson. That's why, as I say, we're trying in a variety of ways to try and make uh, uh, you know tie science and culture together. Well, I mean, it, I think it says something for the the culture too right now in the country where it was it was celebrated obviously that like Hillary Clinton stood up there and said like I believe in science, but that that even needs to be said that someone would you know believe in science like that yeah it's it, i mean well it's the fact that as i said the fact that she had to say it you know it's like i believe you know the earth is round i mean maybe we'll get there someday where you have to say that uh it, oh, it, it, it's, it's 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 embarrassing but good i mean it's good she did yeah. because although the point is although i'm happy she said it i don't like the words because belief has nothing to do with science yeah yeah the the, the you know the earth goes around the sun whether or not you believe it Evolution happened, whether or not you believe it. The Big Bang happened, whether or not you believe it. So scientists should never use the word belief. Yeah, it's like John Oliver said, are there hats? Well, it doesn't matter if I believe that there are hats or not. Like, there are hats. It's a fact. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and, uh, 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 and so, but right now it's based on, it's, a, it's he, you know, politics and journalism is more a he said, she said kind of thing. Where I say this and you say that, and 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 the public, you know, just doesn't if they sound good, doesn't know who to who to, uh, to believe. And so I, that's why I'm very careful when I do debates that I won't do debates on a premise. A lot of people want me want to debate me on, you know, say evolution versus intelligent design. I used to want to do, and uh, and I wouldn't do such a debate because there's no there's no debate. I would do a debate on. You know, should intelligent design be taught in the classroom? Uh, but I won't do a debate on evolution for intelligent design because what it does is it gives the impression that 
they're both equally viable possibilities and there's some basis for questioning or controversy and that's how you create a controversy they want to all these people want to appear on stage with me because and then they do it it gives credibility and credence to the nonsense that they're spouting well that's the thing too when you have like you know things that receive gov- you know some kind of government funding like whatever yeah i was gonna say people like ken ham who like will purposefully say the atheism religion does or believes xyz or something like that they're trying to get a rise out of you so that they get yeah i was very disappointed in 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 um I didn't quite understand why Bill Nye agreed to debate Ken Ham at, at the Creation Museum, except, well, anyway, I won't say, but but uh, I think it was a mistake, in my opinion. Do you think just All because it, raise it, gives, it, gives weight, it gives weight to what they're doing? Well, and it raised the profile, and it you know, and it was done on their ground, so people more people know about it. And, and I've actually debated um, Ken Ham, but it was, on, it was on Fox News on the day that the Creation Museum opened. I led a protest about it in the morning, and then I and then I went to visit. Uh, actually, was allowed in the Creation Museum. That's a long story, but an interesting one. And then I flew to New York to on uh, to be on Bill O'Reilly and 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 and, and Ken Ham, and and there I just let Ken Ham talk because all he has to do is talk, and he hears <laughs> right. I was about to say you just let him speak for himself. Uh, yeah, sometimes. it was easy. <laughs> but but I would never ever. Go and debate on their, you know, on their grounds as if, as if they're worthy of my presence because they're not, and I'm not pumping myself up, Um, uh, and uh, it's just, it's just they're not, not worthy of, um, of virtually any rational person's presence. And so you said you weren't allowed in the Creation Museum. I was. Well, I wasn't originally, but I, 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 uh, I I, I was at the time. um, had credentials as a commentator for Marketplace, uh, and 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 they sent them the credentials. But when I went up, they said they knew who I was right away. They said, mm-hmm. "Doctor Krauss, your 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 credentials never arrived, so you can't get in." So I said, um, "Well, I had happened to have a BBC and a PBS film crew following me." And I said, "Oh, that's good. Do you mind if the BBC and PBS uh, film me not being allowed in the museum?" <laughs> and they said, "Oh, okay." And then we had the basically <laughs> direct, de- deputy director of the museum give us a private tour. Oh, so that, that's how that works. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> good for them. Good for them. Yeah. Well, I, I I did go. I actually went to the Ark in Creation Museum uh, when the when the, the day that the Ark opened, and then went to the museum after. They have they literally. Ha- I don't know what they had there uh, when it, when you went, but they like right now literally have like dragons up in the in the lobby of it when you walk in and. And like they have a whole display saying like cow, it literally says cowboys and dragons, and talks about how cowboys may have fought dragons. And then the Creation Museum, yeah. <laughs> See, and that and that's the part that's like it's just so fucked up that kid like kids are gonna go see that right. They're already and they're gonna think that shit is awesome because it looks cool. Like if I were, well, like they a do it. I mean, it's you know they use the same people to make their exhibits as, as Universal Studios did. Mm-hmm. Oh wow! And um, yeah, and they, you know they're very impressive looking exhibits. And and uh, um, <laughs> I remember the Adam and Eve one was kind of because Adam and Eve, uh, you know, Adam has long hair covering her breasts. I mean, Eve does have <laughs> long hair covering her breasts, and Adam is in the grass covering his. Uh, private parts. And I remember some graduate student actually called in to see if he was anatomically correct. It turned out he was a Ken doll. So. Of course. <laughs> right. Because we, we don't want to, we don't want to deal with um, anybody's bodies when we're. Yeah, exactly. But, right? but you know, the funny Except thing is. they want to have control the, the, the over sci- everybody's bodies. The science fiction museum, is, I mean, the science, whatever it's called, it should yeah. be called science fiction museum. Yeah, exactly. the, the creation museum is a, it's interesting bait and switch because they start they start all fire and brimstone, and then they, and then they in the last half it, they appear to be a science museum, and they and they hook you. But at the f- oh, yeah. greatest thing, it, I, I the very when you walk in, it says re, it has reason versus faith at the very beginning, and I thought, well, they've got it right, you know. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it, it is reason versus faith, and they just don't realize that you know reason is you know is is the way to go. But they really say it right at the beginning, reason versus faith, although they treat reason as if it's the um, uh, as if it's the enemy. And of course, they ultimately behave as if it's the enemy in everything they do. 
Well, and like the whole like reason versus faith though, that just permeates so much into even like into all aspects of our culture right now, even thinking like when, when we were, I was making notes for this and you know, said science, politics, like let's talk about that. I couldn't get away from bringing in religion because all these three things are kind of conflated at this point with religion getting in, in the way of science and politics. Well, and it is. And, you know, they, and, and to me, I'm going to interrupt you for a second because I was just thinking about this, the really sad thing and example of how, of how the religious right doesn't care about anything in reality is the fact that these, that these fundamentalist religious people are supporting Donald Trump, who is anything but, I mean, who's, mm-hmm. <laughs> and they're acting as if he's a godly person because for them, he, he endorses, at least verbally, although you don't, don't believe anything he says, you know, things like anti-abortion. And, and, so they, they, and so they're saying, well, you know, oh yeah, he's godly. It just shows how much they're willing to distort reality for their own ends. Because if they really believed what they said, if they really believed the, 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 the stuff they spout, they would say Donald Trump is, is, is unacceptable. But... As, and and that's the real evidence that the that the religious right is really more about power, and 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 having control, and and so they view Donald Trump as allowing them to maintain power and control, in spite of the fact that everything he stands for, more or less, in reality, is is opposed to the verbiage of their of their uh, uh, quote unquote Christian doctrine. Well, but yeah, you but don't, you don't even matter. know what he. Yeah. yeah, you don't even know what he really stands for because anytime he's asked any sort of policy question, it's always, "Well, we, I'll take care of ISIS," or "We'll, we'll, you know, of course, like the make America great again, whatever the hell that means in the first place." Uh, but there, there's no specifics as far as what he's saying, and that's that's something that I find to be consistent with Ken Ham. And I just listened to the friendly atheist uh, interview uh, that he met did with uh, Ray Comfort, where he's, I mean. Like he met was great, like like direct questions to him, and um, I forget what the question was, but he asked him like what uh, you know something like what you know what what's something that would change your mind, and instead of answering the question, uh, Ray Comfort goes, "Are you married?" And it's like that's that's not even relevant to what you're asking. Like you're 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 just doing like peekaboo with all these questions. Like you're evading the actual the actual issues by. By by asking questions or by, or by well avoiding the question, I'm always amazed when when those people are asked what would it take you to lose your faith, and sometimes very disappointing um, mm. what they say. I mean, it's really trivial in some sense. When William Lane Craig was debating me, he said something like, "Well, maybe if his daughter was killed or something." Uh, well, that's boy, that's <laughs> you know, it's it, awful. That's right. <laughs> and uh, and and Ray, I've never asked him that, but well, I keep. I, I've talked to him, and it's really kind of you know, and he, and I said, don't you see? Therefore, you know, you should you shouldn't be spouting this stuff. And I, I think I happen to think Ray Comfort actually believes, for some reason, this stuff. I, I, he just doesn't he doesn't allow himself to think about the alternative possibility because that's the thing about religion. You you know the answer before the questions are asked. So nothing can since you know the answer, not, no mere facts can't get in the way. Yeah, they're they're unconvincible. Some of yeah. the people, yeah. and so and it's obviously then about like you know dealing or putting them in a spot at some point, like the unconvincible ones, but then trying to figure out how to teach everyone else to think a little more critically and make rational decisions. Um, yeah, and, and but again, you know, I agreed to talk to Ray Comfort because I when I'm talking to people like that, and I have to say he's more likable than William and Craig. But when I talk to people like that, I'm never trying to convince them. What I'm trying to do is, is is reach the people who would otherwise be sort of fooled by them, and and some of them I hope may in the one hopes anyway you never know right. in the process of listening to to me talk might say you know I don't understand why Ray doesn't you know pick up on this and maybe they'll their doubts will begin so that whenever I'm doing a debate like that it's never it's never to try and convince the person on stage or whatever it's right it's it's to Absolutely. try and reach all those people who think. You know, who are honest and haven't thought about the issue and, and are willing to, um, you know, they, they come because they're willing to listen to both sides and hopefully you can convince them one side is nonsense. Cool. Um, well, I know we're, we're kind of over a half hour, but I, I was wondering if you can just give um, a little 
like tease about your your book that's coming out in I guess the, is it the spring in March? It's coming out in March. Yeah, the greatest story we're told so far, and the subtitle of it is "Why Are We Here?" And it, it takes off in some sense where my last book, The Universe from Nothing, left off. That book addressed an existential question which religious people had tried to usurp. You know, why is there something rather than nothing? And I demonstrated. I'd like to point out that. It's quite possible to have a universe that comes from nothing by the laws of physics without any supernatural shenanigans. But the other big question is, why are we here? And and what I what what this book does is really just in a broad and and, and, and way talk about what I think is the most exciting intellectual journey humans have ever taken, all the way from Plato to 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 today, to understand the fundamental structure of matter and the forces that govern us. And understand and and the alt, and and then demonstrate. So it's a it's a modern history of that that takes people right through, especially through the second half of the 20th century, in a way that I've never seen in in a, in a popular book, talking about things that aren't really fully appreciated. The amazing intellectual revolutions that have taken place in our thinking about the world and how strange the world is on a fundamental scale. So people get all of that. It's really a discussion of that science. But then then then. As I did in the other, in the last book, I, in the last part, I talk about its implications for ourselves in some way. And the real implication is that it's an, it, it's more and more obvious when you look at that fundamental structure that it's an accident, that our existence is an accident, that there's no planning, that that it could have easily, just as easily, been quite different. And and we're like, as I point out in the book, more or less like an icicle on a window that points in a certain direction. But if it had pointed in a different direction, we wouldn't be here. And it's like it's like and and moreover, the icicle may melt in the sun one day, as we might, and and mm-hmm. and so it, it points out both how ephemeral our existence is, but also how how accidental it is. And I think all of those things are important if we want to understand our place in the universe and and realize that the only purpose in life, the only meaning in life, is the meaning we make. So, and that means our time here on Earth is precious because we have this little bit of time and. And we're 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 in a vast universe that doesn't care about us, and and so we we can make the world a good place or a bad place, but it's up to us, and uh, we should appreciate our brief moment in the sun, and so this sort of carries on that notion in the context of understanding really the fundamental structure of matter, and it's an amazing set of revolutions that have taken place in that understanding that I don't think people uh, are aware of. Yeah, that's that's something that's always confused me about people that are religious is they look always always looking forward to the afterlife and it's like why you're you're wasting all you know your sixty seventy however many years you have here well, like focus focus so focus on this thing that there's no proof or even a hint of evidence that actually exists yeah I mean it 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 it, it gives a, assuming some significance there takes away the significance of the real world. And that's why, that's why I think knowing that we're insignificant and a cosmic scale is not a depressing thing. It makes it makes every every moment more precious for yeah, me. Yeah, fact it that, adds it adds value to your life. Yeah, because we're here accidentally, but we amazingly have this consciousness that allows us to appreciate this. So enjoy that consciousness. Plus the fact that, that I point out that uh, you, I mean, if anyone really thinks about eternal life. You, it's nothing you nothing more miserable than that i mean forget you know being with your friends for eternity be with your in-laws for eternity i mean it's really but you're also with you know i i forget and i forget the quote here but you're also with those ten thousand goldfish that you flush down the toilet whatever it is you're with uh i mean it, it, as 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 woody allen once said i said um um uh what is what do you put uh um Something about well, how is it? It's, it's something about eternity. It's really long, especially near the end. Something like that. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that's uh, that's um, that's the point I quoted in one of my books, so I should remember it. But anyway, um, <laughs> eternity a long, long time, especially near the end, or something like that. Um, anyway, maybe that's speaking of eternity and the end. Maybe that's a good way to end this. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think so. Well, yeah. Well, thank you. We, yeah, thank you so much for joining us. If we want to read, see, hear more about you, uh, where do we go and how do we do that? Oh, okay. Well, uh, you can, um, well, I guess you can go to um, my uh, the webpage at kraus.faculty.asu.edu, which tends to tends to talk about or list those those uh, places and things I'm, I'm, uh, I'm going to appear in and, and my books and 
Also, the Origins Project at ASU, which which uh, uh, I lead and and, and has many different programs. That's Origins.ASU.edu. Or you can you know follow. I, I tweet at Al Kraus one, and I sort of give my ideas about science and politics on a regular basis, and also Facebook. So you can find out. And in there, I also try in advance to give people a heads up of where I'm going or what I'm doing. Okay. Well, we will put links to all those uh, on on the show notes here. And thank you. I cannot thank you enough for spending some time with us tonight. Well, my pleasure, and, and good luck with what you're doing. Thank, thank you, you very much. Take care. something a little different from for us uh normally it's just like a meme page or something just totally weird well i guess this uh, kind of falls under that um uh, it's a i guess a, a mashup uh <laughs> the the seinfeld theme which uh i mean we we all grew up i think in the in the kind of late 80s early 90s and so we kind of grew up with seinfeld through uh through school a little bit uh mashup against the the smash <laughs> smash mouth song all-star uh, which is, I think everybody listening to the show knows it, and it is, I dare I say, just the worst. Oh man, I fucking hate Smash Mouth so much. I, that is, but, that is. But the thing opinion. is, I gotta, yeah, I gotta be honest. I, 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 at least twelve-year-old me owned a Smash Mouth CD. So, I mean, we all made, I made mistakes 20 years ago. I'm not proud of them. Uh, yeah. so it's Donald Trump and I have that in, in common, I guess. Uh, we both made some mistakes uh, 20, 20 years ago. Uh, I'll, I'll take Smash Mouth over <laughs> that one. So, um. so let's just uh, go ahead and just take a listen to this thing here. Somebody once told me the world is going to roll me. I ain't the sharpest tool in the shed. creator or i guess arranger of of that little mashup here with us tonight his name is james nielsen so james thanks for joining yeah, us thanks for having me this is really cool we've already listened to the <laughs> to what whatever uh that is and i guess uh, the the one thing i wanted to like how did you like how do you even like come up with something like that like what what was the process for even like thinking to put put that clip together well so i've actually been doing music production kind of as more like a serious hobby i would say for about five years now and so uh whenever i kind of have an idea in you know that i can do musically i kind of just put it together and then uh, most of them i never really post i just do it because i think it's funny and we'll send it to my friends or something (laughs) and so uh with this one i'd actually done a few smash mouth remixes like i would pair it up with like a drake song or like a you know something else is popular and then it just hit me like the Seinfeld, you know, I grew up watching Seinfeld and I also had a Smash Mouth CD growing up. And so I just, <laughs> they happened to work out perfectly. And so just because I had been doing music for a while and I, I kind of knew how to do it, it was a really easy kind of uh, way to, it's just easy to put it together and post it. And it probably took about 20 or 30 minutes from start to finish. But yeah, I don't know what to say. It really is the worst. <laughs> It is. And so I guess it's like you have to you try to find things to maybe make Smash Mouth not the worst. (laughs) Yeah. But like that could be just somebody's goal. Like that's what they do is to make Smash Mouth not the worst. But they are the worst. That's what's so funny about it is because when something is just kind of like Nickelback or Smash Mouth, they are kind of (laughs) almost objectively terrible. It's fun to kind of play the joke that they're great and pretend that you're really into them and kind of play the persona of someone who just absolutely loves this kind of stuff 
And then meanwhile, you have all of these people now who have listened to Smash Mouth, who otherwise would not have been like, <laughs> yeah, I want to listen to Smash Mouth. No, we've all done it now. And I like, you know, you feel kind of dirty, but it's with Seinfeld. So it's fun. Exactly. Yeah, you so. probably have gone years without hearing that song. And we're really happy about that. And then here comes this video that ruins your streak. Well, no, actually, the other day I was in a coffee shop and that song was playing. No, really? And, and I and like I just turned and I because I heard it through what I was listening to in my earbuds. And then I just cranked up what I was listening to even louder just to make myself feel not disgusting. Oh so, God. yeah, yeah. So what like what are some other things that you're like into and pursuing or, you know, what other weird Internet stuff are you into? Yeah. So kind of like. I mean, on my Twitter account, I really try to do just any sort of joke. I try to find any medium that will accurately portray that joke. So I do a lot of writing and also like funny photoshops or, you know, sometimes it's music, sometimes it's original, you know, music videos and things like that. And so just kind of in my daily life, I just try to pursue a lot of different creative things and kind of see how they turn out. Like these mashups, I've kind of known how to do them for a while, but never really felt like it was something I wanted to attempt. And then once I did one and it became popular, I decided I was going to do a bunch more since people like them. And yeah, so it's like I never try to get really too good at one thing. I like to be like, I guess, competent or proficient at, you know, if I want to make a video project, I can do like the basics of putting a video together and have some, you know, somewhat of some filming skills. And then, you know, I want to be able to, if I have an idea in music, want to just be able to do it. So I'll kind of just float around and whatever seems cool at the time, I'll just try it out. Yeah, and just make people laugh, right? Because, I mean, that's what that's what we can do on the internet in these dark days of, like, <laughs> election mayhem and dumpster oh my fires. God, so. yeah. Well, yeah, and, and I think I think the, the video the video itself has, has just an excellent message at the end because out of yes. nowhere you just get the <laughs> please vote, don't vote for Trump and <laughs> – and I, I watched it like the very first time I'm watching. I'm like, this is this is great. This is fantastic. I love how he ended it. And then like that pops up. And I'm like, oh, shit. <laughs> like, I have to talk to this guy. We have to have him on our show. And, and so, so as we were kind of messaging before uh, b- before now, uh, we were talking and then you, you threw out the word uh, or the phrase rather uh, millennial humor. And that like th- that's exactly like what this is i've never thought of it in those terms that's exactly what it is it's just just shit posting and and just like even your cover on twitter just guy fieri just <laughs> doing the, the <laughs> i don't even know what the, just like just being guy fieri, it's yeah. like that is like like fucking it like <laughs> like on the head like exactly like what it is and it it, it is it is just I can't. For me, I can't get beyond Harambe. Like I, I, I cannot. You no, know, you can't, you cannot get beyond Harambe. I cannot and it's like it's let this go, and I do yeah. not know why it is so goddamn funny to me. <laughs> just it, it will never not be funny to me. And I just, I just, I, I've tried to move on, but I just can't. No, the thing. No, we all have our things. The Harambe we meme all. just keeps coming back to it. Just it, un, unlike him, it just will not die. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and yeah I mean, no you, i mean you can see like even months later it's just like people because like new stories come up and people have taken that meme and just like what millennial humor is to kind of answer your question is really what from my perspective it's just pushing humor to the absolute limits of like sometimes repetition sometimes weirdness and so the fact that like i mean, I, even, I even made a uh, like a rest in peace harambe music video that was fairly popular among you know oh my, my little God. circle i'm going to have to see it <laughs> and we're going to have to link it i think in our show notes oh because obviously everyone needs to watch that it's just um. an abomination as well but yeah it's kind of like it definitely serves and goes serve the purpose of the theme of just you know shit posting i guess which is just trying to be as weird as possible because i think a lot of people in my generation are sick of kind of you know comedians like kevin hart who is like he serves a really good purpose i mean i'm not saying anything bad about him i think you know we need really popular relatable comedians like that but once you kind of you kind of get that world of humor you kind of like understand it and it becomes a lot less funny so you need like something weirder and more out there and just like and you really need it to like stretch like sometimes you want a joke that you just don't even get because it's too weird you know you kind of like want to have that feeling of finding something new and crazy and so when you have like the Harambe meme, it's just like, why do so many people care about this one event? And it just like blows up the internet. And that's like, I think, I think it's like a really good example of millennial humor kind of in a nutshell too. Yeah. And I, I, I mean, I guess it's like 
why we have a segment on this show every week, why we love the internet. And it's just bizarre stuff like crap taxidermy. And <laughs> well, one, one week we did Harambe memes and I mean, bad realty photos. I, I don't know, just weird shit. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I'm sure we all have in our, like the camera rolls of our phone, just odd memes, oh, yeah. <laughs> right? Like just weird nihilist, just <laughs> shit that like, I mean, I think the one I put today was, every corpse on Everest was once an extremely motivated person. Oh my God. I mean, it's true. Like it's, it. but it's dark, but mm. it's funny. Mm. So it's, yeah, that mix of it's fucked up, but it's funny. Mm-hmm. Like really just pushing the envelope almost to like see how yeah. edgy you can be sometimes. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> well, can you um tell everyone where they can find you on the internet because yeah. they're going to go do that right now. <laughs> so obviously. my Twitter handle is at cool as heck with underscore. So at cool underscore as underscore heck. And yeah, it's, I mean, the username is ironic because I'm not actually cool. I do a bunch of very lame, weird stuff. <laughs> so that should be funny in and of itself. And yeah, I've, you know, I've recently, I've been writing for about a year now on there and didn't really think it would kind of get this popular, but it, I guess it, it kind of has been lately. And yeah. So that's really the only place you can find anything that I do. I have like a personal Instagram and a YouTube channel that I post some of my videos on, but you know, mainly Twitter would be the place to go. All right, so everybody go go follow him on Twitter. And um, thank you for being the reason we love the internet this week. Oh, yeah, thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. This is great. And on that note, thank you for joining us for this week's episode. If you enjoyed listening, please consider leaving us a five-star rating on iTunes. If you have comments or suggestions, you can reach us at podcast at ascienceenthusiast.com. You can also find our full podcast archive. You can also find our full podcast archive at ascienceenthusiast.com slash category slash podcast. Follow the podcast page on Facebook. Follow Natalie's page, Skeptical Parenting, and myself as a science enthusiast. Also, if you enjoyed listening to the show, please consider checking out our Patreon page at patreon.com slash TSE podcast to get access to premium content such as extended interviews and early access to episodes. We understand not everybody can afford to financially contribute to the show, and that's okay. Just tell your friends about us. But if you could, just like James, Michael, 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 Alice, Joanna, Chris, Janet, and Sarah have done, we would be incredibly grateful. Natalie, hit us with a quote. Every atom in your body came from a star that exploded, and the atoms in your left hand probably came from a different star than your right hand. It really is the most poetic thing I know about physics. You are all stardust. You couldn't be here if stars hadn't exploded because the elements, the carbon, nitrogen, oxygen, iron, all the things that matter for evolution and for life weren't created at the beginning of time. They were created in the nuclear furnaces of stars, and the only way for them to get into your body is if those stars were kind enough to explode. So forget Jesus. The stars died so that you could be here today. And that is Lawrence Krauss. So, I mean, I think that that's way more beautiful and way more awesome than um, anything that people made up and wrote down in in a book about some all-powerful creator. I mean, right? Way more accurate. And it's accurate. I mean, like, and that's the that's the really cool thing about how all this works is that it's accurate, it's amazing, and I think that we can all kind of agree on that, right? You know, the world's a pretty cool place some of the time. Yeah? Maybe? Agree? Yeah, sure. Sure. Yeah. Um, okay, so one thing that I want to say before we're done is uh, when this show is coming out, I'm going to be uh, getting on a plane to go do something kind of cool, right? Something we've kind of talked about over um, the past few weeks. I get to I get to go to Manchester um, in the UK and go to QED. Uh, you know, we had Marsh last week talking about it, and, and I get to go. The day that this show comes out, actually, it's my birthday, and I'm getting on an airplane and super stoked about it. Um, and, you know, the thing about... QED is I actually wouldn't know about this conference and really what it is if it wasn't for one of our like original dozen listeners of the show who told me about this um, conference and thought it might be something I would think is cool. So I'm really glad he told me about that because now I'm going and, you know, like podcast, QED, it's all kind of connected because I am just a sentimental, you know, person. But um, I'm going to get to meet some of the people we've talked to. 
right? So I get to meet Grant, Richie, get to meet Buck and Eli and Marsh and um, a whole bunch of other people that I, I guess I've like known just from the internet. So uh, yeah, and I guess um, a bunch of them do that Last Tuesday Project podcast. So if you're listening to us right now, after you finish the show, go and um, and find the Last Tuesday Project um, on I don't know, on some kind of social media. They're everywhere and they're really good. So listen to them. I will give a like what happened at QED recap like all weekend on Twitter and um, maybe do something for Dan's website. And uh, yeah, like super stoked and looking forward to telling you all about it, Dan, when I get back. Great. Sounds like fun. It will be. I'm going to have a good time. I'm ready for a vacation. A skeptical vacation. So, yeah, everybody's dream, Manchester in October. And then we'll be back next week with a show. All right. Well, thank you for joining me this week, Natalie. Oh, you're welcome. You're very welcome. It was your pleasure. It was. It was all mine. Always. Yes. Somebody once told me the world is going to roll me. I ain't the sharpest tool in the shed. Outside of the Seinfeld mashup tonight, the music that you heard was written and performed by Adam Johnson and was used with his permission. You can reach him at adamjohnsondc at gmail.com. This podcast is property of Not Narrow or Straight LLC. All rights reserved. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.